You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. a much happier post-game episode of Locked On Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose. And while things are much better now than they were 24 hours ago, the Rockets' enormous winners in Memphis, 119-95. to It's been a brutal schedule of late. Five games in seven nights, four and five. They didn't have Ryan Anderson. Clint Capella is still working his way back. And despite all those factors, not only did the Rockets get a win against a Memphis team that, well, could be their first-round playoff opponent, but they got it in route form. And it's one of those things you can't give the Rockets enough credit for their resilience. Just one time this year have the Rockets lost multiple games in a row. That, of course, was last week, Minnesota and Memphis. Every other time they've lost this year, they've immediately come back with a win the very next night. And I think that is so big to show the mental strength of a team. Actually, one of my favorite tweets, I'm going to start up this new segment called Tweet of the Night. Because if you're like me... Your Twitter timeline during Rockets games, it moves incredibly fast because we're all just, you know, it's a live stream of consciousness, what we're thinking. But the guys over at the Dream Shake, that's the SB Nation affiliate, you can follow them on Twitter, at DreamShakeSBN, had this tweet in the fourth quarter. The mental makeup of this team is so unlike other Houston teams in the past across all sports. Sure, they blow leads, but no panic. And in this game, that was definitely the case. The Rockets had a 20-point lead early in the fourth. There were a couple of times when Memphis was able to get, get on a run, cut it to 10 or 12. But every time the Rockets calmly had the answer, and eventually you could tell when Memphis just hit the wall and the Rockets were actually up this to a 24-point margin, which goes a long way towards uh, mitigating the damage from that 17-point uh, loss to Golden State just a night prior. Now, as far as individual standouts, Yes, Sam Decker had a career-high 30 points in his first career start. We'll get to that in a minute. But for now, I want to focus on James Harden. 29 points, 10 assists, 6 rebounds in his 34 minutes. But what's most amazing is he got those 29 points on 7 of 9 shooting from the field. 29 points on just 9 shots. At one point, he had 22 points on 5 shots. If you follow me on Twitter, you know that I was sitting there saying, Sneaky fellow, that's in reference to... um, Chandler Parsons' mom, who sent him a text, and of course Chandler sent it out on his Instagram, I believe, of the message from his mom, and his mom called James a sticky fellow. But first off, we've come to love that about him. But secondly, the nine shots to 29 points, that's the ratio when the Rockets are at their best. If you've been listening to me over the past week, you know that's something I believe. In the games, the Rockets, well, lost to Miami and then beat Milwaukee. Harden had 30 field goal attempts and then 25. Now, to his credit, he still posted some phenomenal games in there. One of them actually scored 40 points. Uh, He actually shot, I think, 14 of 25 in the other, which is almost 60% from the field. So he's still really freaking good, even when he has to go the volume scorer route. But this game, just nine shots and 29 points plus 21 to boot. 
This is James at his best when he's able to set up his teammates, get in distribution mode, and while the shot attempts are low because he got 12 free throws, which tells you that because of the spacing, because his teammates were able to do things, he was able to drive to the lane with more authority than in previous games, and because of that, he gets lots of free throws and is able to put up points without a shot attempt. So this is the James Harden you want to see. Not just having to go one-on-one because the Rockets don't have another option, but he's able to score, do the MVP things we, we've become accustomed to, while also getting his teammates, such as Sam Decker, involved. Now, getting to Decker, 30 points, 12 of 19 from the field, 6 of 11 from 3. The first thing I know y'all are going to point out, and it's fair, is the 6 of 11 from 3. Really, ever since the start of December, his 3-point game has fallen off a lot. I believe he was about 40% for the first month to five weeks of this season. And then ever since December 1st, he's actually been below 25%. So a lot of people have been wondering where the triple-decker has gone. Well, Saturday night in Memphis, he got um, a lot of opportunities. Obviously, he had to start with Ryan Anderson still out. And in 35 minutes, he got to put up 11 threes, and he made six of them. So some of it's just a sample size issue. When you play off the bench and you're as active as he is, it's not like you shoot that many threes. So if you miss a couple of games... Uh, a couple of threes per game, then eventually that's going to add up. And Saturday night, it was simply a good shooting night for him. But the other thing I will point out, I think Decker's presence in the starting lineup, and give credit to Mike D'Antoni, he saw what happened early in the second half on Friday night when they started Brewer in place of Ryan Anderson. It did not go well. So he made a change. He showed his flexibility. I've said before that in an ideal world, he would keep the likes of Eric Gordon and Sam Decker in their bench roles where they're so good, but beggars can't be choosers. The Rockets really needed this game, so he made the move, Sam Decker's first career start, and it worked out really well. And yeah, he made the threes, and he was active like he always is. That's always good to see. But the biggest factor to me is how his presence, his willingness to move without the ball, helped James Harden. Now, we think of kind of opening up the passing lanes for Harden. That's been a theme this week here on Locked on Rockets because, as I mentioned earlier, his 25, 30 shot per game uh, nights, those have come without Ryan Anderson to space the floor. And we've talked a lot about Ryan Anderson's floor spacing, the fact that you have to guard him out to 27, 28 feet, being essential for this offense. Well, that's one way, but it's not the only way. Now, Sam Decker did make six threes, and that helped. But besides that, he is relentless in terms of how he moves without the ball. He is very smart. He is very high IQ. And so you put someone like that out there alongside James Harden, it's not the same as Ryan Anderson because obviously Ryan's more of a true shooter, and you have to respect him to just absurd lengths, as I said, 27, 28 feet. But when you have someone like Decker that moves that well away from the ball, that opens up lanes too. That's going to draw attention from the defense because all it takes is Harden finding Decker on a couple of those cuts, and before you know it, that's always in the back of your mind. What's amazing is that other than Decker and Harden, it really wasn't a great three-point shooting night for the Rockets. Pat Beverly was just one of five. Trevor Ariza was one of six. Eric Gordon was three of 11. So there still wasn't the you know, traditional spacing that we think of when the Rockets are just bombing from three and able to open up these huge lanes for James Harden. But the combination of Harden and Decker worked really well together, and that's worth keeping in mind. No, I don't think Sam Decker has an opening to be a long-term starter, no matter how well he plays. It's pretty clear that they're comfortable with Ryan Anderson in that role when he gets back healthy. But 
starting is just a small part of the equation. There's a lot of various configurations to the rotation that you can do. And so we'll see what happens over the next week, even if and when Ryan Anderson comes back from the flu, the stomach virus, whatever it is. I can't imagine that he's going to be ready to play 30, 35 minutes a game immediately. I think there's still going to be an opening for Sam Decker to get a lot of minutes. And if his chemistry with Harden continues to look that way, as good as it did on Saturday night, then I think you will see Mike D'Antoni consider a lot of other potential um, configurations of his rotation to get Harden and Decker some time together. Because I think it's not just the three-point shooting, it's how well Decker moves without the ball, combined with James Harden's high basketball IQ. I think that's potentially a very big combination. And the other thing, I saw someone on Twitter make this point, I forgot who it was, but it's a really good one. Looking very big picture for the Rockets beyond this season, the presence of Sam Decker may actually make the Rockets more comfortable with eventually shedding Ryan Anderson's salary. Because if you want to make a maximum acquisition elsewhere, it's pretty tough for the Rockets to get to max room with how the team is currently configured. You would probably have to ditch one of your established bigger salaries, particularly Ryan Anderson or Eric Gordon. And for much of this year, you said, well, would they really break up that core? It's still not ideal. You wouldn't do it unless it's a huge acquisition. But when you have someone like Sam Decker that you could plug into that role, especially if he continues to make his threes the way he did on Saturday night, then eventually down the road, maybe it's this coming summer, maybe it's the summer of 2018, but all of a sudden you can see a scenario where maybe Sam Decker is your full-time power forward and you use that Ryan Anderson slot, um, basically his cap figure, to try and go after an all-star level acquisition elsewhere. That's far down the line. I just wanted to point out and that someone mentioned it. I agreed with it, but it is just one game. This is one game out of 82. Rockets are 34 and 13 now, which is great, but, well, they've already played 47 games, and this is one of them. So Sam Decker's going to have to show this on a much longer-term scale before we can really talk about that possibility, but I did think it was a fair point, and I wanted to acknowledge it. Now, besides Harden and Decker... The other story of this game for Houston was the bench. Eric Gordon, Corey Brewer, and Nene. Gordon was plus 23, Nene was plus 26, and yes, Corey Brewer was plus 25 in his 24 minutes. So those guys did a huge, huge job in the early second and early fourth quarters to not only um, keep the lead when Harden sat, but actually expanded in some cases. Now, we'll start with Eric Gordon. He wasn't obviously himself yet, just 3 of 11 from 3. He's still not really feeling his stroke like he was in December. But the big thing, this was as spry as I've seen Eric look in a while. 7 of 16, which tells you that he was 4 of 5 from inside the arc, also had 5 assists. We know he's been dealing with the toe situation. He also turned an ankle in Miami. This was the most aggressive I've seen Eric in at least a week. That's something earlier in January I gave him credit for, that even when the threes weren't falling, he was able to attack the rim and still make some things happen. For the first time in a while, and even against a Memphis team that's pretty solid defensively uh, for much of the year with the likes of Tony Allen out there, well, Eric Gordon still got it done. And that's important because the threes aren't always going to be there. You can't be that alone if you want to be the number two player on a contending team. But lately, the last week when he's been injured, notwithstanding, Eric has been doing better at making plays off the dribble, at creating, and Saturday night in Memphis was another positive step in that direction. Now the other two, yeah, Nene, 
four or five in his 16 minutes, 12 points, plus 26. Thought that was a genius move by Mike D'Antoni to rest him on Friday night. Because really, against the Warriors, against the level of athletes that the Warriors have, that's not really a favorable matchup for Nene. You are always going to be heavy on Clint Capella and um, Montrezl Harrell in a situation like that. And to D'Antoni's credit, both Harrell and Capella have played well against the Warriors. So rather than just try and sneak Nene a few minutes, just give him the night off altogether and let him come back fresh. And well, he did look fresh against the Grizzlies on Saturday with his 12 points and 4 or 5 shooting in just 16 minutes. But the big story, Corey Brewer. He took such a beating from Rockets Twitter after what happened against the Warriors. And you know, I said that I thought it was being blown out of proportion because people wanted a punching bag. People wanted something to blame. In reality, it's you know a combination of a lot of things. A, the Warriors are just an incredibly good team that's playing well right now. They also beat down the Cavs in Oklahoma City over the past week. Other thing is that, well, the Rockets started that game 4 of 28 from 3, and they're not going to beat much of anyone shooting that way. It's much bigger than Corey Brewer, who's typically just a 15 to 20-minute uh, rotation player off the bench. But Saturday night, 24 minutes, only took three shots, but he made two of them, including a three. He also had five rebounds, two assists, and the big thing, he was very active defensively. That's the one area where I do give the benefit of the doubt to Mike D'Antoni. I don't think it's a slam dunk that KJ McDaniels is better, because there's value in a wing that you can trust. As I said before, the Rockets are throwing out a lot of youth in their rotation. So someone like Brewer that you know you can trust to make the right rotations, to make the right reads, to play within himself. For all of Corey's struggles, one thing I will give him credit for, this season he is not playing the out-of-control style that we um, grew to hate about him a year ago. The turnovers are down. He's not forcing as many threes. He knows his limitations, as evidenced by just three shots in 24 minutes. So, yeah... All the negative things you guys say, most of them are true, but there's value in a guy who simply is secure enough in his role, in his spot in the league, that he plays within himself, and the coach can trust him to execute the scheme on both ends of the court. Now, does that mean that Corey Brewer is a positive rotation player? No, it doesn't. All I'm saying is I can see a case where, especially if KJ McDaniels is underwhelming in practice, and we know that his three-point shot is not great either, I can see a scenario where that's why Mike D'Antoni trusts Corey and continues to play him. Now, with that said, just because uh, Corey Brewer might be better than KJ McDaniels, that doesn't mean he's a positive rotation player. The reason Rockets fans focus on Corey so much is that on a team that's third best in the West at 34 and 13, maybe third in the top three of the NBA, because now the Rockets have passed uh, Cleveland and wins by a decent bet, but Every other player in the Houston 9-10 to man rotation, at least at certain stretches, is clearly above average. Corey's the guy that he's not above average, and at his age, 30, and not much of a shooter, there's no upside either. So yes, it stands out. It's an easy role to upgrade because, well, it shouldn't be that hard just to get a league average wing, a 3 and D type, at the deadline. So yeah, you guys are right. You should upgrade that spot. But all I would say about Saturday night is A, give Corey credit for playing well. He deserves it as much as you criticize him. Show him some love when he does the right things. And secondly, that's kind of a reminder of just why Mike D'Antoni is giving him those minutes because he does do some things or nothing that we should just bow down at Corey for doing. It's nothing incredibly um, rare or difficult. But Yes, I think he's doing some things that it's fair to wonder if someone like K.J. McDaniels, Bobby Brown, Tyler Ennis could do if they were in those 
that same minutes distribution. So, so far, so good. Corey still has a long way to go in terms of proving his worthiness of being a rotation player on a playoff team. All I'm saying is that, well, Saturday night he earned respect from a lot of us, and that's why he has a role for now. Anyway, closing thoughts before I wrap up this post-game episode of Lockdown Rockets. Guys, I said this over a week ago after the loss to Memphis at Toyota Center, and I'll say it again now. It was never about the matchups. You can see on Twitter a lot of folks... They're really trying to fit a narrative because people say, well, what stops a Mike D'Antoni team? And so, in theory, there's this recipe of a team that plays slower and is more physical, yada, yada. But if you look back at the first two tapes of the Rockets-Memphis games, there weren't many trends. I mean, it'd be one thing if that stuff was playing out on the floor and then you and then you can say, well, I don't know how they're going to adjust. No, the last game against Memphis, the Rockets lost because, well, they had a 15-point lead, and then they went ice cold from three in the second half. They had tons of wide-open looks, and they just were not going down. And on the other end of the court, Tony Allen had 20 points on close to 80% shooting, which is just crazy because Tony Allen is not a good offensive player at all. Now, we get Saturday, and what do you know? Things average out. The Rockets made 16 threes, and Tony Allen, he was 0 of 6 for 0 points. So... Yeah, that stuff is evening out. Now, Memphis does do some things that can potentially give you some issues. Mark Gasol, for instance, had 32 points, 12 of 20 from the field in his 37 minutes, and you wonder if Capella or Harrell, if any of those guys are an ideal matchup for such a physical center like Mark Gasol. Yeah, it's a fair thing to wonder, but the truth is that any team is going to have some sort of matchup that presents you some difficulties. There's no such thing among playoff teams as just a perfect matchup to where you just go up and down the roster, the starting five, the three or four bench guys. Nothing is going to be easy. There's always going to be something. But by and large, I don't think the Rockets match up poorly with Memphis. When you look at those first two games, there's a lot of just randomness in there, basically one of 82. And you look at Saturday night, it all went the other way, and the Rockets won in Memphis by 24. Now, am I saying the Rockets are just so far and, far and above Memphis that, well, it's a positive matchup? No. Just as those other games were 1 of 82, this is 1 of 82. The point is that it's just schedule randomness, and while there are a couple of things, sure, Gasol and Randolph are physical inside, and it remains to be seen how the Rockets would handle that kind of physicality over a seven-game series— I'm not seeing anything in these games and the box scores, however you look at it, that shows Memphis as being a problem for the Rockets. I think that angle was just overblown by people who wanted really an, um, a catch-all explanation for why the Rockets had finally lost two games in a row. And the truth is, as I've said for a while, every team goes through one of these stretches. And right now, it's a combination of the injuries. Ryan Anderson's out with the flu. Eric Gordon, he's had the issues with his toe and his ankle. And... The Rockets, well, they've also had a brutal schedule. As I said leading off this podcast, this is their fourth game in, in five nights, fifth and seven, eighth and twelve. Mike D'Antoni's ran about that. You have the tough schedule, you have the injuries, and it happens. And really, a lot of the stuff that's happened for the Rockets lately, it's really not about their opponent, it's about them. A lot of these trends continue from one game to the next. The tired legs, the missed threes, the lack of spacing whether you're playing the Warriors or the Heat, we've still seen a lot of these same things from the Rockets. And so it was never about any particular opponent. It's about the Rockets needing to find themselves again, hopefully get healthy, hopefully let the schedule start to ease up, and then you can 
finally start to see that crew that we saw in December when they went 15-2 and and were the darlings of the NBA. And while the positive news is that at least for one night, we did see that on Saturday. They're not all the way healthy again because Ryan Anderson is still not back yet. But uh, Eric Gordon, 7 of 16, this was very similar to the December Eric Gordon. And Sam Decker, 12 of 19, 30 points in his first career start. That went a long way towards getting the Rockets the kind of productivity at the power forward spot that they got from time to time with Ryan Anderson. And now looking ahead, the good news with the Rockets is that with this out of the way, the schedule finally eases up, at least from a sheer logistics perspective. There are only four back-to-backs the entire final, what, three months of the season? And for the next, basically, week and a half, the Rockets, it's just very methodical. They play a game, they have a day off. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. Yes, there are still four games left on this five-game road trip starting in Milwaukee on Monday night, but you don't have any of the extreme travel demands. You're not going to be catching a flight and getting in at 2 or 3 a.m. and then playing a game at 7 o'clock the next night, wherever you are. The burden is easing up. And if you look at the schedule, yes, I would say at Boston, that's close to a pick'em game. Boston at home is a good team. But other than that, Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia, Indiana, Sacramento, Atlanta, Chicago, Orlando, Charlotte, Phoenix, Miami. That's your next 11 games, 11 games before the All-Star break. None of those teams are as good as the Rockets. Now, am I saying they're going to reel off all of them and go on a 12-game winning streak? No, I'm not. Really, every team goes through slumps. And just in the past 10 days, we've seen the Rockets lose to Minnesota. We've seen them lose to Miami, two teams that they should clearly beat. But you've got a chance now. The difficult schedule is in the rearview mirror. You're not having any four games and five night stretches. All of these, you have off days in between. You don't have the Warriors. You don't even have Memphis, who they've played twice in the past nine days. There's no Toronto. It's a much more manageable schedule. And so, yeah, you have the typical stuff of playing on the road in the NBA. It's never easy. And so if the Rockets, if they can just get three of these next four on the road, I'd be very happy with that road trip, finish up four and one. But the important thing is that in the big picture, this is a chance to get right. This is one of those stretches where you have off days, you're not playing a contender, there's not going to be a huge sense of urgency in any one game. So hopefully you can get Eric Gordon the rest he needs, get Ryan Anderson back healthy, and maybe by the time we get to early February, we can talk about the Rockets the same way they were before this just hellacious stretch of, stretch of January games started a few weeks ago. Anyway, with that said, I will wrap up again Thank you for listening. I'm Ben DuBose. This is Locked on Rockets. Follow me on Twitter at Ben DuBose. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Rockets. And also subscribe to us wherever you well, listen to your media. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Audioboom. Just search for Locked on Rockets and you can easily find us. We're part of the Locked on Podcast Network, which has daily coverage of NBA and NFL teams for every franchise. So if you want to listen to any other team, including the Houston Texans, just search for, well, Locked On Whoever, and you can find it. NBA and NFL, we have completely got you covered, and you can find, well, all of those shows at the same places that you can find Locked On Rockets. Also, don't forget to email us at LockedOnRockets at gmail.com if you've got questions for me, suggestions, or if you'd just like to inquire about becoming a potential sponsor on this show. You guys listening every day, the sponsors we have, that's a big part of how I'm able to continue doing this on a daily basis. We're the only podcast bringing you coverage of the Houston Rockets every single day. And 
If you want to help us do that, I would love to hear from you. Just email LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. For now, I will sign off. Hope all of you guys enjoy your Sunday. It's a championship Sunday in the NFL, so there's a lot going on. Thankfully, the Rockets are off today so they can enjoy it. If you haven't noticed, um, one of my favorite things on Twitter is Montrez Harrell during a Falcons game. Follow his Twitter. He's amazing. Montrez is a diehard Falcons fan, and you can just see the fan in him come out, which I enjoy. feels like he's one of us almost. So, yeah, the Green Bay Atlanta game this afternoon. Keep an eye on Montrez because I'm sure he's going to be fun. But, yeah, the Rockets are now in Milwaukee. They'll be resting up, getting ready for that game, a rematch with the Bucks on Monday. Hopefully that goes well because the Rockets did just beat the Bucks by 19 a few days ago in Houston. So I think they have a pretty good run idea of how they want to play Milwaukee, and then of course the road trip continues in Boston, Philadelphia, and Indiana all over the course of this week. So with that said, I will sign off. Again, happy, happy final for Memphis. Rockets 119, Grizzlies 95. Rockets back in action tomorrow night in Milwaukee, and I will talk to you guys then on Twitter and here on Lockdown Rockets. Enjoy your Sunday!